damn it. Hey everybody, my guest tonight was a dear friend of mine named Ryan Hargis. He is an artist, an AV technician, and an investor. And while we didn't quite scratch the surface on a number of things, uh, we had a great conversation about monetary policy and uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So, check it out. Here's Ryan Hargis. You know, I, I've had a lot of conversations with you about money and uh, various forms of currency. And so I wanted to discuss with you uh, this thing called Bitcoin and see if you could demystify it a little bit for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, I think before we even go into that, I kind of, I kind of like want to focus on really like what currency and money is. Sure. I think that's, I think that's like a better place to start. Um, I know that like for me, I started just kind of looking into, I guess I don't, I don't even know why I started looking into alternative currencies or I guess, I guess I started looking into more so conspiracy theories and that's what led me down it. But, uh, I mean, one person that I really focused on and really got me interested in alternative currencies was Mike Maloney. Um, I don't know if you've heard much about him. I might've talked about him before, yeah. but, uh, he's a bullion dealer. He's like one of the biggest bullion dealers in the U S. Um, and you can just buy precious metals online. It's actually like pretty simple. You literally, it's like all insured and you just order them online and they get sent straight to your house and everything. It's a pretty good deal. But, um, yeah, like he, he's got these these videos called the uh, Hidden Secrets of Money. And they start off with really just like a fundamental understanding of what currency and money is. And like a good place to start even before that is like understanding the differences between currency and money. Uh, and he tries to like implement that into everything he says, like rather than saying that the, the dollars that we interact with are money, they're technically their currency. Um, and so I guess, I, I mean, I've, I've written down a bunch of notes just because these are kind of complex things and it will be easier to keep my mind there. Sure. But um, he goes on and says that currency is a medium of exchange, a unit of account. It's portable, durable, divisible, and then it's also fungible. And so I'm sure everyone knows what those things are besides maybe fungible, which is each unit is the same as the next unit. So kind of going into like any dollar that's in your pocket is the same as the dollar that's in my pocket. Um, <clears throat> and that's currency. But then what money would be, uh, would be a store of value or a store of value over time. Okay. And so if you kind of understand that, like the, the dollars that you and I interact with aren't a store of value over time, they're a store of value in like a short span of time. Like we use them to buy things. But um, because of the system that we live in and, and work in, which I'm sure we'll get a little bit more in depth into, they've been decreasing over time. And so they're actually losing value mm -hmm. um, since, I mean, really since the creation of the U.S. dollar. And so I think that's like a really fundamental point that people need to understand. I shouldn't say people need to understand, but people should try to open their mind to mm -hmm. You know, because when you hear, hear alternative currencies, a lot of people would ask the question, you know, why do I need to use them, especially in the U.S.? Like, 
we can go into any banking system or excuse me, any bank branch and open up account. We have PayPal, Venmo, you know, all of these other ones, but they're all, they're all backed by the same currency, right? They're all still using the U S dollar. And so it's like, why, if, if I have this currency that, you know, we've also never had any type of currency collapse really in, in a sense, you know, some people experience it on a daily basis mm-hmm. and, we don't, we don't really ever experience that. Um, and so it's like, why would I inter- interact with these? If you actually kind of step back and start looking at how these things are created and also how they control us, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, it kind of opens your eyes to really understanding what is money and what is currency. Um, okay. So on that note, mm-hmm. I know we've I've I've asked you this before. What what is the what is the downside to one global currency? Um, the downside to one global currency. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't you know I don't know if I could really say that like one global currency. There's a downside. I guess I guess in my eyes it would just. I guess I would think that it would create like um, not as much inter. I don't know, maybe not as much like interaction between people. There's not as much creativity surrounding it, and I don't. I only say that because I just think that there are so many um, that. But but I guess I can't say if it would create that because we don't really have like a one currency in the world. Yeah, and I can't say that I really have like a strong, you know, like this is the reason why Mm -hmm. it could it could work, but I haven't really, I haven't really tried, you know, I haven't obviously I haven't tested that that theory either. Okay, so do you see crypto cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. replacing forms of paper money? Um, <clears throat> paper money specifically or like fiat currency? Because I would currency. say fiat currency. And so before we get into that, can, can you explain mm-hmm. what fiat currency is? Yeah. So fiat currency, um, I guess I probably won't give you like a specific definition. If someone like looked it up, it might be a little bit different. But fiat currency is um, money that's created by, I mean, I'll start with our currency. So our, our US currency is a, a fiat currency and it's created by the federal reserve. Um, and, and again, like I can't explain these, I, I understand them to, to a portion of it to actually like get it. But if you go, like if someone's really interested, I would highly recommend watching hidden secrets of money by Mike Maloney, because he literally breaks it down fundamentally Mm -hmm. and actually understanding like how, from, from the point of the federal reserve, you know, using bonds to then um, you know, bankers buy it and using IOUs and like all this other complex ridiculousness that creates money out of thin air. So, <clears throat> I mean, fiat, fiat currency is really like the the money which we interact with, but it's also created by the Federal Reserve. Um, and so, it's it's any any type of money created by and for a government or, or by a government for its people. So you could yeah. say you could say the euro is fiat. You could say mm-hmm. the dollar is fiat. Uh, yeah. The yen, basically any any nationalized money system. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would say so. Again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hit like the exact definition about it, but. So what would be the opposite of fiat currency then? Like if you um, barter and trade? Yeah, totally. Like getting into precious metals, right? So precious okay. metals are, and, and again, it's kind of coming back to like fiat currency compared to money, which money has a store of value over time. So, um, and it's, and it's also not manipulated. That's the big thing that the big uh, comparison between a fiat currency compared to um, money is that it's it's not you're not able to manipulate it in the sense of with fiat currencies right now there's a, an endless printing of it and so it allows the powers that be the, the people that are able to create that to create as much of it as they want over time mm-hmm. and so that's again a reason why the dollar has decreased in its value oh since it's you know creation mm-hmm. uh, because there's a continual creation of it more mm-hmm. and you know thinking about like some of those pieces would one be just like the the printing of it to have more of it and also um um like i guess an example of that would be quantitative easing mm-hmm. which is just like the the creation of of more uh, liquidity to be pumped into the system to prop it up. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, I mean, that's getting into something a little bit different, but you know, it's, it's the manipulation that people are able to create more currency without actually having to do anything mm-hmm. quotations, do anything. I'm sure mm-hmm. like a lot of people say, well, there is a lot of doing that happens. We're using all of these um, specific ways of creating it, but in the end it's, it's just creating fake currency um well and it it used to be backed by gold correct Mm -hmm. and it no longer is yeah so um yeah that's a good place to start too so again coming back to mike maloney's videos i would highly highly recommend just watching those um but kind of getting into what what kind of changed our timeline and something that i've tried to understand more about is um the bretton woods system so I don't know if you know much about Bretton Woods system. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, around like the end of World War II, um, France was buying a lot of goods from us because they were at war, um, and so we were able to take all of that, uh, everything that they were buying, they were paying for in gold. And so this is a short version of it too. It's much more complex, and there's a lot more to it, but. We, we basically ended up having like two-thirds of the world's um, gold reserves, huge amount of gold. And so, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to look at my notes here. So, so around that time, we were taking in all this gold. And we were actually selling, like giving out U.S. dollars Mm -hmm. for people's, um, you know, like TVs and cars and all that kind of stuff. Um, And this guy, Charles de Gaulle, who was the president of France, kind of realized what was going on at that time and ended up seeing that we were taking all this gold in and giving out dollars. And we were supposed to be on... um, we were basically supposed to back it all by gold, but we were actually creating more of it. Um, and so he realized that we were basically taking advantage over other people. 
And so he ended up starting to take back gold because we also around because of this, we also allowed people to exchange dollars back for gold. And so he ended up taking all his gold back and other countries saw that this was going on. And so they started doing the same thing. And so in, I think it was, yeah, 1971, um, Nixon terminated the convertibility of dollars into gold because uh, if he wouldn't have done that, we would have ended up having no gold um, in our system. And so, again, it's, if, if, uh, if everyone would have been able to take all of the gold back, um, there would have been a problem and basically it would have crashed the economy because the U.S. dollar was, sorry, within the Bretton Woods system, the U.S. dollar was tied to gold and all other currencies were then tied to the U.S. dollar. And so if the U.S. dollar ended up collapsing because it didn't have any gold backing it, all other currencies would have collapsed too. And so um, he basically Nixon in 1971 ended up uh, um, wouldn't allow people to convert dollars into gold, um, which is kind of a strange concept, right? Like if, I don't know why people around then didn't decide that like, or realize that the U.S. was like printing more dollars than they actually had for gold Mm -hmm. and why they didn't, you know, actually get angry about that. I don't know. I wasn't really around back then, so (laughs) I couldn't say that if people did get angry or not, but. So you're, you're saying there was a significant change in the system with Nixon in 71. Yeah. Sorry. So after 71, we basically went off the, the Bretton Woods system. Um, and so we ended up completely cutting um, ties from the from gold and to end up going to just floating um, cash, I guess, floating fiat currencies. I don't know if floating would be the right term, but basically just straight fiat currencies that weren't actually backed by anything physical, which is kind of an interesting concept, too, of like, why, why were we once a part of this um, system where we actually had some physical products that or you know physical money that couldn't just be created out of nothing um we had to have a certain amount of it to create these dollars at least that's what people were saying you know i think it was um um in the Bretton Woods system the u.s dollar so one ounce of of gold would be priced at 35 dollars for one ounce of gold and so realistically they were trying to have that for every ounce of gold there was, you know, an equivalent of 35 US dollars. And so once that was, um, once we went away from actually being backed by gold, it was just, you, you know, they're just creating money that's not actually backed by anything. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Which is crazy. Because it seems like it would have to have some sort of inherent value, but it doesn't. And I don't, I don't think people understand that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of people say, I mean, that it's, you know, backed up by the U.S., you know, but it's but it's all just a confidence game, right? Yeah. It's all just confidence that I can walk over to Safeway, excuse me, I can walk over to Safeway and, you know, use my dollars for buying a thing of eggs. Mm-hmm. But I guess what happens when that that confidence isn't there anymore? And I, th- I think we're, we're starting to kind of get to that point. Um, but I don't, I don't think people really understand what that actually means and Mm -hmm. what, you know, what can actually change and how that's going to actually change. Yeah. Cause I mean, for our entire lives and longer, 
there's always been, I don't know if the right word is respect, but there's always been like a trust in the dollar that it was powerful and that it would always, uh, it would always be accountable for itself. And it's hard to imagine what it would be like if it wasn't like, mm-hmm. I mean, we've had this conversation before if, if the dollar crashed and, and people weren't, uh, they didn't have faith in it anymore, you know, and, and a different currency became like the global standard. It would, mm-hmm. it would, I don't, we don't, we can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah, no, I mean, we've been living, living pretty good for the time being, uh, you know, also like coming back to not going through currency crises and, and really any form where like a lot of other countries experience that, you know, with just inflation and, um, just different price changes. We don't, we don't experience that really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think a lot of it comes from just the, this Bretton Woods agreement where it was like, well, since, since there's so many dollars anyways, at least, at least from my understanding, it seems like there's so many dollars anyways. Um, and we have most of the gold, like we'll, we'll back it by this. And you can trust in us that, you know, it's going to be backed by this. And obviously that was completely incorrect. Mm-hmm. If you go and watch um, uh, Charles de Gaulle talk about it, he he basically tells people that, you know, we've, we've been fooled, you know, in one sense or another. That And, and it's interesting too, because then you go and listen to Nixon's speech when he's talking about this. He's telling these other countries to like trust that they're going to do the right thing in the future, which is, it's, you know, incorrect. It's, it's just lies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and war is the the best profit driver for private corporations uh and and anybody at the top. Uh the I mean the, the struggle to constantly be at war or go to war will, will never go away because there's so much money to be made from from uh other countries, you know, uh, mm-hmm. moving yeah, in. Think- yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think uh, even to, even more so to be at war and not be in war, right? Like if other people are fighting and you're able to profit on that, that's like the best thing. And that's that's kind of what happened where, you know, we weren't even getting into the war until later, but we were able to profit off it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... We can go. We can go to some of the notes I had from the other day. Um, so, I, I was watching uh, the movie Zeitgeist, which is on YouTube, and it's great. Uh, it it the the first scene dives into Christianity and how it could possibly um, be based off a number of other religions, and then it goes into nine eleven, I believe. Uh, and then the third portion is about uh, the Federal Reserve. And then there's also an addendum, Zeitgeist addendum. And so basically the story that uh, Peter Joseph tells in these movies is about... So w- when when the United States was founded, um, I believe that the first bank was just the, the first national bank. And it lasted uh, until... I believe 1812, and then there were issues, uh, and they started a second national bank, and that made it up until the time of Jackson. And Andrew Jackson, I believe it was in 1835, 
uh, he, he was the first and only president to pay off the debt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he was he was a very tough personality and interested in doing what he thought was right, and he didn't care what anybody else thought, and so he was was strongly against the the banking system. And after that collapsed, that second bank, there was no central bank in the United States until the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. And so what this, this movie Zeitgeist uh, goes on to talk about is how uh, the Rockefellers and the Morgans, the Warburgs, and the Roth, Rothschild family, um, they, they created rumors that the banks were insolvent, and this created hysteria and mass withdrawals from smaller banks, and it was the panic of 1907. And so you've got the general population freaking out and pulling their money out of the banks, uh, based on these rumors that these super wealthy people created. Yeah. Uh, and after that, I mean, they had various people in Congress that um, could could pass things that they wanted them to. And one of them was Nelson Aldrich. Mm. And he, I mean, I'd have to look it up again. He was, I believe he was a senator. He, he was involved... Um, somewhere higher up in one way or another, but he was, he was able to draft uh, the idea of the Federal Reserve. And there was a meeting on Jekyll Island in 1910. And you know about this, right? I think mm -hmm. you told me about it. Yeah, um, I know a little bit about it. I haven't dived like super deep into it. Um, G. Edward Griffin wrote a book, mm -hmm. um, which I, I haven't had the chance to read yet. I was actually thinking about that today, but I should order it. Um, but he wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island, and apparently it goes all over. Like, yeah, you were telling me about, about that. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah. Know, I need to get it. So, so, yeah, all these super wealthy, influential people uh, had this meeting, and it was so secret. They, the, the bankers traveling there disguised their names so that no one would even know that they were going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so after this meeting on Jekyll Island in 1910, they drafted the Federal Reserve Act. And in exchange for campaign support, they, uh, they helped Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, get into office if he agreed to pass this Federal Reserve Act. And so he, he was in cahoots with uh, those wealthy individuals. And uh, so just a few days before Christmas, I believe it was on the 23rd of December, uh, 1913, most lawmakers had already gone home. And so I was trying to look this up today, and I don't know what the answer is on this. Maybe you do, maybe not. When, you, when you're in Congress and you're not there to vote, what happens to your vote? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I think... But it is, a, it is interesting, though, yeah, to think about it. Right? Like, if you... I mean, it was the perfect thing for these guys who were scheming on this shit to do... They, yeah. they waited until right before Christmas yeah, and gone. everybody took off. And so I think what happens is your vote just, you don't have a vote. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And so the, the majority that you need two thirds or whatever, uh, you can accomplish that a lot more if your team is still there to vote and everybody else took off. And so I'm assuming that's what happened with this. And so, yeah, they, they pushed the Federal Reserve Act through 
created this new central bank and it it was basically a, a method for for these people to control our entire financial system yeah definitely and from there i feel like i've been talking too much <laughs> from there uh i mean along with that came the federal income tax which it sounds crazy now to think about or to talk about that there was no federal income tax before 1913. Mm -hmm. So you know how much people hate paying taxes. You can only imagine <laughs> how pissed they were when they're like, oh, when it's implemented. yeah, like now we got to pay 25% of our income to the federal government. What? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's also like a, a thing that I talk to people about a lot, especially, well, it kind of like, closer relationship to me. Um, you know, I'm not, not against paying taxes. I don't think people should be against paying taxes mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. But I think when it's, when it's not shown to you where this money is going, when it's not audited, you know, when these places aren't, they don't go through audits, they don't like show what they're spending the money on. Um, it just, you know, it doesn't, there's no trust there. All the trust is gone. And so why would I want to, end up paying into a system and helping out a system where there's where it's trustless right exactly and it just creates um, you know bad taste in my mouth and that's not a society that i want to live in and that's a society that i'm trying to slowly work my way out of to a more trustful you know relationship between people and i think that's also where alternative funds start to have their value of, you know, being able to have a trust, a trusted system mm -hmm. where you don't need these third parties to trust each, you know, to trust you and I, if you and I want to interact or transact, I should say, we don't need to have a, a third system that's making that happen with some of the alternatives that are coming out today. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have this juxtaposition of a central bank created by some of the most wealthy individuals that we've ever seen in the thought process of controlling controlling our currency and profiting more. And so you have these people here and then you have this new thing that shows up in the last eight or 10 years, which is cryptocurrency. And like you were just saying, in that world, there's no middleman. You're just, you're sending money from me to you. There's no bank involved. There's no Wall Street exec in anybody pinching pennies from our transaction. And so when, when we talk about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, that's what makes me think it's the next thing. But anybody who has a stake in the current system is going to do whatever they can to keep crypto from happening. Yeah. Or even create their own crypto, you know, that's the other thing of creating, I mean, I guess it'd, it'd more so be just creating some type of digital currency. Cause it's, that's another part, part of it that you, that you hear kind of going around where it's like there, people are trying, we're moving more towards a digital currency. I mean, you probably don't really interact with uh, paper money. I interact with it a little bit, but um, not like it used to be. And, um, so really, you know, there's, there's fundamentals, I guess, that people need to understand about like digital currencies in general. Um, 
and Andres Antonopoulos um, goes over those fundamentals really well. Um, he calls them the five pillars. So the first pillar is open blockchain. Um, anyone can see what is going on within the system. So it's, you know, I guess open source. Um, you can actually understand, but also from that point, anyone can build upon that. They can take those pieces and make something better or completely change it and start a whole new one. So being able to have open um, is a big part. You know, it's like you and I aren't able to, I would say we aren't able to take any type of, you know, large banking system like um, MasterCard or something, and we're not able to see exactly how that works and exactly what they're doing. It's not an open system where we can really see what's going on. And that's kind of same, you know, with, with like the tax system, we're not able to see what's actually going on within that and what's open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the going just, uh, I can just go over these real fast cause it'll give like a base baseline of, I guess a good place to start with looking at cryptocurrencies and understanding them. Uh, so he says the second pillar is borderless. So borderless system knows no national borders whatsoever. It, is, it exists across a global, or excuse me, it exists across the global, oh, the globe, and is accessible to um, basically any person. So you don't have to, you know, just because you're in a different place, just because you're a different nationality, just because, you know, whoever you are, which, you know, it has its pros and cons too. Like that means anyone who wants to use it can can interact with it, right? So it, it doesn't, like, like if you look at the U.S. currency, and, you know, it's, it's all um, orchestrated from the U.S., right? You don't have any, you really don't have any interaction from other countries about what's going on with it, whereas a borderless system has no bounds. It's, it's you know, everywhere, which, you know, is, is awesome. Because then you have all these other people who think differently or who interact differently with the world who are still able to transact, get different ideas, too. Sure. Um, the third is neutral. So a truly neutral blockchain does not favor any one individual or entity over another. Um, yes, and some of these, I would say, you know, definitely like listening to him talk about them <laughs> is, is uh, he goes way more in depth about them. And, and some of them, I mean, I don't even like the, well, I'll go through the, the fourth one is censor, censor, censorship resistant. Mm-hmm. Um So I think like a transaction entered onto the blockchain is very hard to alter. So having that censorship resistance where um, you can see what's going on, you know, someone can't change it. Um, You and I, if we transact with each other, that that will always be there. Uh, We can see that that happened. You know, someone can't create these fake pieces of it. Um, And it's also like something for us to to say that it happened uh, in time. Um, the last one is public. Um, and this one kind of was kind of difficult. I think there's multiple pieces to it. Um, I think being being public is, you know, people are able to view it and see it. And it's, I guess it kind of comes back to the, the part of being open. Um, but it's also like, I have this understanding of being public and everyone can see it, but that also means that 
you know, even our, let's take our government, for instance, they can see it too, right? And so they can look at what you're transacting with. And that kind of comes back to what people need to think about when they're interacting with um, digital currencies. You know, Bitcoin was supposed to be, well, I guess it, it wasn't actually supposed to be, but people thought it was this uh, completely anonymous cryptocurrency. And, you know, what we're learning now that it's come out and people are able to basically look at addresses that are on the blockchain and understand different points to those addresses because it's a, because they're put into this network and everyone can see them. And so I think that's the part where people have to be careful. You know, if someone has hundreds of millions of dollars and somehow they have an account linked to that, you know, if you go and sign up for some online exchange and you funnel a ton of money into that and then not right away, like obviously it's not like someone can just look up your address and see exactly who you are, but there's little pieces that start to connect mm -hmm. those dots. And so I think that's where people need to be careful about thinking that these things are completely anonymous. And, you know, again, it comes back to the point of fungibility. Bitcoin is not fungible. You know, it's not every one Bitcoin is equal to the other Bitcoin. Uh, within the last few years, the U.S. government has not allowed people to interact with certain addresses, um, certain Bitcoin addresses, because they're linked to nefarious things, whatever, mm -hmm. drug dealing, I don't know, whatever, whatever they say, terrorism, whatever it is. And so that being said, you know, it's not true money. It's, it's not something that, um, you know, it's, it's not fungible. And so I'm sure that there's people, I mean, of course, there's people out there that would say that there's different applications that are building upon it to try to make it more secure. And something like the Lightning Network is doing that. And it's, it's a whole nother realm that you'd have to get someone who really understands it to talk about it a lot more than I do. Um, but it, it's starting to get there in the sense of having more privacy. Um, and so, you know, they're all, there are alternatives out there that are more private. And it's interesting too. I mean, when you, when you read um, Satoshi Nakamoto, who's the you know person, entity, whatever group who created it, you know, if, I've, I've read through a little bit of it, um, of just like the conversations between other developers when it was first starting. And I think like what I got from it was people need to be open to other ones that come along and that maybe these first uh, digital currencies or cryptocurrencies that were created, maybe they needed to be public and they needed to be open and they needed to show people every part of it so that people could trust in it. Mm -hmm. Because if you just directly came out with one that there wasn't trust there um, and you couldn't, oh, oh, or maybe, maybe, excuse me, maybe there was trust there and it worked fine, but people couldn't see how it worked. People would be skeptical, right? And so I think if you show that there's trust there and you let people view that these things can happen, we can send transactions to each other uh, without this third party, and it does work, and then being able to say, okay, now we're going to do that, but we're going to do it in a sense where you can't see anyone's identity, you're not going to see anyone's uh, amounts of transaction, only between the two people that send it to each other can they see that. Then you have, like, we know it works, but now we're going to put it into this other one where it doesn't show all this other information. And I think that's like the key point of building upon it. And, you know, 
I, I'm sure, again, there's people that say they have that in Bitcoin. Um, but I think keeping an open mind to like other ones that come along and other ones that are there is something people should be open to. So let's let's break down what what blockchain is in the in the most simple terms that you can imagine. Um, what 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 does it mean for me to go on uh, the Cash App or to go mm-hmm. on Coinbase and purchase mm-hmm. one Bitcoin? What what does that mean <laughs> when I make that transaction? Yeah. So. Bitcoin blockchain would be a ledger, so it's a, um, and, and again, I would, I would highly recommend. <laughs> There's a James Corbett does um, creates a video that's called the Bitcoin Psyop. I'd highly recommend people watching that because cool. it's a complex system um, that you know is difficult to articulate, but you know it's a, it's a ledger, right? And so it's a it's a accounting all of these transactions that are coming through and you have miners who are taking in those transactions, the ones that come in and they are basically solidifying through mathematical problems um, with machines that are working on these problems. And these basically they're working, you know, working to solve one problem and there's so many of them. And so it also depends on the amount of people that are in the network and, and how many people are running. And it's trying to keep it at 10 minutes of basically saying, hey, here's the next block in the chain. We're going to solidify this block in the chain every 10 minutes. And if there's more people, it gets more complicated. And if there's less people, it gets less complicated to try, to try and keep it at 10 minutes of solidifying that block of the ledger of basically saying, these are all the transactions that have come through. Um, and so, um, yeah, I guess it's... Okay, so this this is how I view it, and tell me if I'm wrong. I Mm -hmm. see it as, and this is the way I think I've read it, or it's been explained to me in various ways. The the benefit of owning a digital currency is there's bits and pieces. Let's pretend it's a dollar. Let's pretend it's one Bitcoin dollar. Mm -hmm. There's a little tiny sliver on this computer, and a little tiny sliver on that computer, and over there, and over there, and it's all spread out everywhere and mm-hmm. throughout the network, all of those computers communicate with everything and they say there's a piece over there, there's a piece over there, and they are able to consolidate that information and say Cody Maxwell owns one Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's more so it's uh, yeah, it's being basically it's being like when you purchase, you know, your piece of uh, that Bitcoin, it's being it's being uh, sent out to the network to, to tell other pieces of, of people who are playing within that network, hey, this is the amount I have. And they're looking at if that's true, if you, you know, got those, uh, those cryptocurrencies the correct way to play into the Bitcoin system. I, li- I like to look at it as like a game of like playing in the system. If you do that correctly with the rules that are given within the white paper, right? If you if you want to interact with this game, you got to play by these rules. And if you do that correctly, it's sent out to the to the rest of the network to say, hey, this is the amount I have. So when you then transact with another one, it's again sent out to the network and those are all taken in. And it's building upon these like blocks of saying, hey, these are the transactions that are legit. This is what's happening. But within that, there's also the people who are solidifying all those and, li- and, and small amounts of cryptocurrencies are basically given to people because of their you know, mining, because of the work that they're putting into mm-hmm. it. To, um, to, to pulling it from the system. 
Yeah, well, to, to solidify it within the system to make okay. sure that it's all correct. And, sure. Yeah. And so that's the other th- the other crazy thing to me is that how many coins are there? 21 million? Mm, there will be, yeah. There will be, yes. And mm-hmm. so they – this is the part that blows my mind. They know how many there are. There's a finite mm-hmm. amount, which is mm-hmm. what makes it, in my mind, such a valuable thing because anytime you have – a finite amount of anything, the demand will be far greater than, for example, the U.S. dollar, which they will always create more of. Mm-hmm. There's only there's only ten bananas, and somebody gives you a banana, you're killing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's 21 Bitcoin, and you own one of those, and that becomes the global currency. Mm-hmm. You have significant buying power for the things that you need to get. Yeah. And so the, 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 the coins don't exist. All of the coins don't exist yet. They are, they're available in, what was it? 21, 2140? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's close to that. So, yeah. So that just, that part boggles my mind is that they, they know how many there are based on mathematics, they know mm-hmm. when they will all be available. And I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, something that I think a lot about is, well, one, if, if someone's interested in getting like a part of a part of some cryptocurrency, one, you should obviously do your research, right? And you should try to understand why you're doing it, right? Like, are you just are you just buying into it just because you want to make a bunch of money? Are you buying into it because you you know pay Wells Fargo every month five percent or whatever bank to send money over here and over there and you can save a port of it? You know, are you buying into it because you're just like oh this is cool let's check it out and see what it is? Are you wanting to exit from the system? You know, so asking yourself those questions. But but I think too like really understanding that you. You should never go all in, right? Like, and this is at least my opinion. I'm not going to put my entire life savings, right? I'm not going to put everything I ever know because it is something new, right? Like you do need to be, at least in my opinion, you need to be careful with any type of investment. Um, and so I think with these new systems, we don't know what's going to happen, right? Like people, people can speculate and people can say, you know, this is the best one ever. There's a lot of maximalists out there that, say, hey, this is the best one, this is the best one. But, you know, we really don't know. We don't know how, like, a depression or, you know, a recession is really going to interact with these types of things. They haven't experienced that. They're only 10 years old, right? Or maybe a little bit more than that. And so I think think keeping that in mind um, is is good, too. And I I think that's where kind of understanding the value of something like precious metals um, really comes into play because we literally have you know, such a long history of these, um, you know, elements being used as money. And I, and I think that's a, a big part of why, like what people don't understand is like, why would I use this, this coin? You know, I'm not going to go take it to Safeway and buy something, right? That's, that's not really the point, but I can take a portion of my money and I can put it into these elements. And at certain times, they fluctuate in price and at certain times I can kind of navigate 
my financial system to maybe uh, mitigate what's happening in this fiat currency that I'm playing in and be able to protect myself. And so I view them as wealth insurance. That's what a lot of people talk, to, talk about as, um, you know, you have insurance for your car when I have insurance for your money, that this system that we're, we play in, modern monetary uh, theory is what it's called, you know, this system that we interact in, having insurance to protect us when, when these downturns happen is extremely beneficial and also can be extremely profitable. Um, and so, you know, but it, it's a fluctuation, it's a fluctuation, right? Like they're gonna, they're gonna go up and they're gonna go down and, and trying to understand that and being able to profit off it is awesome. But also, you know, over time, I guess precious metals have increased, whereas over time, a fiat currency has decreased. And so, it seems like it's a simple thing to to look at different charts and to see that and to say, hey, with over you know the last hundred years, gold or um, you know has increased in value continuously, and the U.S. dollar has decreased in value continuously. But it's more complicated than that, and so, so you know, so let's eliminate everything and all there is is gold. How do you feel about that? Um. I mean, today, uh, it, I don't know. It depends. You know, there's there's a lot of interesting things that are happening. Um, there's this company called uh, Gold Money. Um, I believe it's Gold Money. And they, uh, a lot of other companies do this too, but they basically allow you to hold precious metals in a vault around the world. They have like 12 different places you can hold them. And you can actually... Um, basically have a, a credit card that you're able to buy things with and they'll deduct uh, value from that. And it's all based on precious metals. And you can also, if someone else has a account with them, you can send precious metals between each other. And so it's, you know, again, it's, it's coming back to this point of like, it depends on how you want to interact with it. It depends on if you want someone that's, else to hold it, all that kind of that's stuff. That's still a digital transaction though. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think that's the benefit of it, right? It's a digital. It's you don't a digital have to th- actually physically have it. Yeah, and obviously there's pros and cons to that too, right? Yeah. Like, and and I think this is where it comes down to diversifying, right? Understanding the benefits of, you know, having some here, having some there, you know, interacting with like, of course, I'm going to have to interact with U.S. currency right now. Like, yeah. that's, that's the place that I live. That's the thing. That's how I have to pay for certain things, right? But there's also these all other alternatives that I can start using, you know, get an idea about maybe they're more, you know, if you, if you go, I mean, really, realistically, like, a, I think it, it might be more now, but maybe a few months ago, gold and every other currency besides the US, I can't remember if it's now, was hitting all-time highs, was higher than mm-hmm. it's ever been before. So if I took if I took a piece of gold to, you know, Mexico or somewhere, I'm getting more money than I would have at any time in history for it, for that piece. And so like, you know, maybe it's a good idea to go take that and, you know, I don't know, go buy something down there if I'm going there. Right. Yeah. Like there's, there's benefits to it all. Sure. The, the thing, the thing is like, if you break it down to, to the lowest level that you can, I mean, you need, you need food. You need shelter. You need clothes to stay warm. And so there has to be a system by which you trade things. And as far as I know, 
you know, I mean, there was a, there was a point in time where you you would if you were a cobbler, somebody would bring you a chicken and you would offer to fix their shoes, you know. Mm-hmm. And there became a point where you had to decide whether or not it was worth your time to do whatever that thing was in return for whatever they were offering you. So the mm-hmm. whole the whole human experience is based off of trading your time and skills for something else that someone is offering. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so crazy that it's gotten to the point that it is now. And, and you have people that are, th- that's what bothers me so much about anybody who works in finance is they're making money off of money mm-hmm. and they're way smarter than me. And they understand <laughs> how to do those things, but it seems like such a dishonest profession like you don't know how to milk a cow you don't know how to build a house you're 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 crunching numbers off of imaginary shit yeah unless you're taking you know you're creating debt right yeah debt on other people and you're profiting off that yeah yeah it's 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 a flawed way and i I think you know i think once people start to have the passion to understand more about the system that we live in and realize the debt that is created. I mean, you know, throw around giant numbers that are so huge that you can't actually understand what that actually is. Right. Like whatever multiple trillions that we're in in debt. But do you think people care? I think, I mean, the majority of people just want to buy a new car or get a cool house or buy a new pair of shoes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll start to care once, um, you know, once things start to level out. I mean, we can't we can't continue. I mean, we've seen within the last few days that we can't continue to constantly grow, right? Like the stock market can't constantly grow, even though, um, you know, the Keynesians that run our monetary system try to. They try to manipulate it with lowering interest rates. They try to manipulate it with you know, injecting money into the system. They try to manipulate it with all these ways and it's, yeah, it's been successful totally, but can that be successful forever? No, I mean, no, it's, no, it's unsustainable. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, at what point do people realize that like, I mean, I guess at, at the point when, you know, you try to go buy something and it costs multiple thousands of dollars for whatever it is. You know, unfortunately, that's the point when people start to realize that there's a facade there. You know, they're not actually, there's there's not actually, um, they're not using money. You yeah. know, it's currency. Yeah. There's, it's, it's not a store of value. So. Well, and in this country, that's the point that I don't know that people will reach the the powers that be keep things comfortable enough that you're not quite ready to do the French Revolution, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You have a little bit more than a slice of bread. Mm-hmm. You know, when the French Revolution happened, those people had nothing. They're fucking pissed. And they freaked yeah. out. They overthrew the government. It was two people or I don't know, a family of people who owned everything and no one, no one else had anything. Yeah. And in this country, 
I think the the game is convincing people, and somebody else has said this a million times, this isn't me, the game is convincing poor people or uh, middle-class people that you're one step away from the dream. Mm-hmm. And the dream is unattainable for most people. Yeah, absolutely. But there's that hope. You always think, well, I, you know, I get that promotion or I get this thing or I get that thing. And then, you know, I'll be living on, on the nice street or whatever, but Mm -hmm. because, because it's comfortable and you have that hope, people never give up. And they they, always want to obtain it. Yeah. I mean, they, they think they're just that close. And so there's no, that's what's so disappointing about like, uh, with the whole political process, in my opinion, is that no one really has it that bad, bad enough where they'll actually freak out and do something. Yeah. I mean, not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, did you hear about South by Southwest? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. In Austin? Yeah. Um, all of the major sponsors started pulling out. I can hear a bunch of stuff going on in the background. Yeah, it's Amy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Uh, uh, Apple pulled out, Amazon pulled out, uh, Microsoft, you know, all the major players that were involved, they pulled out because of coronavirus, Mm -hmm. because of the scare or the threat that everyone's going to get sick. Yeah. So they canceled South by Southwest. And I read somewhere that it was a $355 billion event for the city. Like that's how much revenue was generated for the city. Dude, that's that's significant. That's got to just like crush businesses right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's happening everywhere. I mean, I've I've specifically lost jobs within the last few weeks because of that threat. Oh, serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting what's going on. I mean, I think I've I've been listening to a lot about it. Uh, specifically, Chris Martinson has been doing a lot of really good peace pro- peak prosperity. Pretty sure it's Chris Martinson. He's been doing a lot of really good um, uh, research about it, and uh, he's he's also good friends with Mike Maloney. So they've been doing a lot of good videos back to uh, with each other, and also like focusing on the economy and how it's affecting the economy. But um, I think the biggest thing that I've been thinking about is just like the displacement that's going to happen, especially right now in China, where it's like people aren't working, and how that's slowly going to trickle down into how it affects us, right? Like the goods that we get, I've heard different numbers talking about, like, I think it's something crazy, like 90 something percent of the prescriptions that we get come from China. Yeah. So just like this mass amount of, um, you know, these mass amounts of prescriptions that might be backlogged for multiple months, right? Well, yeah. And then I also heard that uh, even the, the, the pharmaceutical companies that manufacture in the United States, they get the chemicals for their drugs from China. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they basically have a stranglehold on a number of industries. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't think people will start to see that until like a few months later, really start to see how that affects us. You know, we're so used to just getting everything 
on a silver platter. And so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see. And I mean, obviously also just like seeing the effects of that in the stock market, um, how that's going to affect people too. And, you know, again, I think it just comes back to these manipulated markets. And I, I mean, I have, I can't say one way or the other, you know, I'm, I'm currently, I'm pretty against, um, just investing in the stock market one. Cause it's, I mean, I'm not very old. And so when I was able to start that, it was already pretty high. And to me, it's like, I'm not going to start investing in something that's already like beyond what it's been in such a long time. Right. Like, I think that's a pretty foolish way of investing. Usually, you know, obviously well, most people want to buy, you know, buy low and sell it when it's higher. And so if you're already, already up so much, but um, so it'll be interesting to see just kind of the, the ramifications of this, the stock market, uh, from these fears that people are having. And we've already seen that within the last few weeks of it dropping. Um, but again, you know, it's just this, it's just this continual climb. It can't, it can't keep going on that way. And so it has to come down at some point. Yeah. And you and I have had this conversation for a long time and I, I've been waiting for, the recession for maybe a year. I don't even know. And I have always been convinced that it was going to be driven by the 2020 election. And I mm-hmm. think there's a number of reasons it could or would happen if Trump wins. I think there's a number of reasons it would or could happen if uh, Bernie Sanders wins. I don't quite, I mean, it's probably the same for Biden. I think it would be worse for Bernie because in my opinion, Trump is very beneficial to the markets because he's so corrupt. Mm -hmm. And so he's able to manipulate things because he is able to be manipulated. And so there are a ton of people making money off him right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bernie comes in and tries to start to reset things. I think it will be significant. But I also think Trump winning again like you were just saying, something has to happen. Mm-hmm. It's been 11 years of positive growth, the longest uh, the longest um, time period of, of positive growth in American economic history. Mm-hmm. And it can't keep going up forever. Something has to happen. Mm-hmm. And now with all the coronavirus stuff that's happening, I wonder if that's going to be the thing that does it. Because it's like, it's fucking up everything right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, or it's going to be, I guess, or I don't know, some things that I've been listening to about is like, is it going to be kind of like the, um, the cover up for it to just to happen anyways, right? Like, okay. is it, are we, are we going to be able to say, oh, this is why it happened, right? Uh-huh. Um, is, you know, it's, it's a good cover for maybe something that was going to come rather than it being like, yeah, it's, it was going to come anyways, but this is the specific reason why it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of some stuff I've been listening to. And also a really, uh, a really interesting point, um, that I kind of listened to was that like two days ago, um, the fed came out and I think it was cut interest rates by like a half point and the market reacted immediately, very positively. But then directly after that just continued to fall. And that's really never happened before within the last like 10 years. That's not something that usually happens. And so really recognizing that like these policy manipulations that they have to use aren't working. And like, what does that end up, you know, what, what happens when that, you know, it's, I mean, 
that is what happens. It starts to go down, right? Like people lose confidence in it. And so that's like a key point of understanding that like, there's only so much manipulation that you can do. And really getting into interest rates too, like we're moving towards negative interest rates. And that's like a whole nother world that we've never been in. I believe Europe and Japan are in negative interest rates, but you know, what really happens when the money that you have in your savings, you're paying to keep there, right? Like that's all negative interest rates are is, you know, instead of making money off it, you are now losing money. So. So you're saying like the returns on a savings account, not, not the mm -hmm. rate that like a bank would offer to loan or to, to let you buy a house. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, from what I understand, it's, uh, and that might be part of it too. Again, I would say there's a lot of people that talk about it more in depthly than I could, but from what I understand, I mean, from more so from like a savings portion of it, the, and, and, it, and it also plays into money creation too, but you're, you're just going to be losing money in general. I mean, mm -hmm. we've never, we've never had negative interest rates before that. That was never a concept that people would ever want to move into. Like that's, that's not something that we'd want to go to, but it's already, it's already happening. And, a lot of officials are like pushing for it. That's, hmm. It's kind of strange. Yeah, it's really weird when um, when the first thing happened in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I was I was twenty four, twenty five, and I was really just kind of entering the real job market, and. <laughs> people were talking about it and I didn't really understand because I didn't have anything else to compare it to, you know? And so now we've had 10 years where things have been on the up and up and it's hard to anticipate what's going to happen and how bad it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I mean, most definitely there's going to be a lot of people who benefit from it. Uh, and I'm trying to be one of those people. <laughs> I'm waiting for the housing market to come down because it's just so ridiculous right now. Yeah. And so, I don't know. It's like, why can't there be some sort of balance? Why Why does it have to be so extreme? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that's that comes with the manipulated markets um, where people are not letting... I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what like a lot of, you know, anarchists and um, people that I listen to <laughs> talk about, you know, libertarians too, like allowing freedom in the sense of having markets actually do what they should be doing, right? Whereas pushing out the bad, pushing out the old, pushing out something that shouldn't be um, succeeding in the sense of like banks that went, you know, went down in 2008 instead of letting those banks completely go away, pouring more money into them to keep them afloat, which, you know, maybe there's some good points that like maybe worse things would have happened if they didn't do that. But I think if, if that would have happened, a lot of people would have got hurt. A lot of people would have lost their jobs. There probably would have been, you know, a lot of unfortunate things that happened, but from that, you know, we could have built upon something new and that, that didn't happen. And so, so you're referring to like the, the bailout of like, um, mm -hmm. some of, some of the large banks in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all just manipulated money. It's, again, it's quantitative easing. That's when quantitative easing started. 
was the manipulation of the Federal Reserve pumping money into the system to mm-hmm. keep it afloat and to pump it back up. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what would have happened if, if that didn't happen, right? A lot of people seem to think that we would have been a lot better off. Of course, a lot of people, you know, again, would have lost their jobs, lost a lot of money and got hurt. But who's to say that that's not still going to happen? Yeah. I, I, would, I would think that it just it needs to happen, right? It has to yeah. happen. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to learn is make a mistake, you know? Learn from your mistakes. Yeah. 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 Getting back to taxes and, and income tax, um, it's so disappointing that you can't choose what to spend your money on. There is such a significant portion of the government's payroll that goes towards the defense budget. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, there's so many people that are upset about freeloaders taking money from the system and not working and getting food stamps and this and that and the other. And uh, I don't think people understand how much is actually spent on defense. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, I forget what the figure is. I'm sure you've seen it. It's like our defense budget is greater than the next 15 countries combined, something Mm -hmm. of that nature. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about with war. And if we're constantly in pursuit of war and uh, invading other countries to help them, we we need the biggest, strongest um, uh, defense that we can muster. Yeah, and I think, too, it just creates so much fear, right? There's so much fear that's created around that to keep people from, you know, exploring different areas, to keep people from leaving the system or seeing that there's something better, you know, something more. I think for me, that's a big thing that I've been thinking about, you know, being able to go somewhere else and potentially live somewhere else. Yeah. That's something that I want to explore um, that is in the works currently. Um, and I think will definitely happen. I think, you know, from the, I've, I've traveled a little bit, not tons of places, but I think from that travel, you definitely learn a lot and you see how other people interact and you also see how there is a lot of propaganda here. Mm-hmm. So. And can, can you escape it though? If you go, if you move to another country, mm-hmm. you're, not beholden to our policies in the United States and you get to live a different way. But I mean, the question I'm trying to ask is, is the end goal for there to be no boundaries? Do you think that could ever happen? Um, Like no borders? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it could happen. I don't, I don't know if it will happen anytime soon. Right. Like it's, it's happened at one point. I mean, I think there'd have to be a lot of people that, wouldn't be around anymore, I guess, you know, wouldn't be in power. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's very unlikely that it would happen that way. But, uh, you know, a, a big thing that I think about with wanting to be somewhere else or move somewhere else, um, 
is one, the U.S. is one of two countries that continually taxes its citizens, even when they live outside the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of coming back to the, the concept of, you know, live where you're treated best or go where you're treated best. Um, I don't think the U.S. treats its citizens the best. And not to say that, like, sure, other places aren't, you know, yeah, there's not great, <laughs> you know. It's not it's not perfect if you go somewhere else, totally. And so, but I think I also kind of struggle with, you know, wanting to be somewhere else and maybe thinking that it's going to be so much better than here. But I think a, a big part of it is, like, just the crazy amount of taxation that happens here and especially being somewhere else. And, you know, I think it is easier in many places to start a business and to have different bank accounts and to bank in different places. I think a lot of people don't really think about that, that, you know, like, especially growing up in the U S we think that we're from here, that we have to be here, that we have to, you know, pledge our allegiance to here and all that kind of stuff. And it's, again, it's a lot of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what interests me in exploring other places and potentially exploring, you know, completely living other places and, you know, maybe even renouncing my citizenship. I, th- I think that's like a, that's not, that's not something that comes easily in any way, shape or form, but it's something that I think about, right? So what, what does that mean though, other than you making a statement that you're, that you're disappointed with something? Like, is there some sort of legal benefit to doing that? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, I don't think it would be that I'm disappointed. I think it would more so be that like, at least in, uh, maybe it would be, but at least in my eyes, it'd be like the system that I see here. Um, I don't really want to interact with that system anymore. I don't want to be paying my money like you're talking about to this giant defense budget. Sure. So I think like just on a personal level to not support that, uh, is something that I like, you know, I, I think that that would be good for my psyche good for, you know, just me in general. Um, but I think, you know, it also, a big part of it would be coming back to the taxation part, right? Of if I go somewhere and say I make, and, and there is, there is, um, there's a line where you have to make so much money. But if you do make a good amount of money, you, at some point, you do have to pay back to the U.S., even if you're not even living here. And that's a, it's a huge, huge part of it of... You're saying while you're a citizen. And so that would be a benefit of yeah. renouncing your citizenship. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, um, but you know, again, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very large decision. It's not something that I would, that I could say right now. I mean, I'm, I still live here. I would also have to get a a different passport. I would have to, you know, look at other places to live. You'd have to, you know, find citizenship somewhere else because you have to have a passport to travel. So, well, yeah. And that's the thing about like, uh, I know at least in Australia, cause I remember a friend of mine who was going to move there. And if I remember correctly, he he obviously had to buy a plane ticket there, but he mm-hmm. had to have the money for a return plane ticket to leave. And he also had to have, I don't know, three grand or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically like six grand set aside so that yeah. when they say we're done with you, you can leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been currently looking into going to New Zealand. Um and so it's, it's the same thing where you have to have, um, it, it depends on what visa you're applying for and all that kind of stuff. But the easiest one, at least if someone, someone that's under 30 is the holiday visa. And so you have to have, you have to pay for obviously your plane ticket there. Yeah. 
you have to have enough money to get back and enough money to, or at least show them that you have enough money to support yourself to get back. Um, and then also I think it's like, you have to have either healthcare there or you have to have healthcare back here so that you're not just going to move, mooch off their system. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, like even if you were able to secure all that, you still have to go there and somehow find a job, right? Mm-hmm. Which you can work on a holiday visa, actually. Yeah, New Zealand's visas um, are actually pretty good. You can you can on the holiday visa one, which is a one year visa that's for anyone under thirty. You can go. Um, you can work on that, which is pretty rad. Yeah. And I know in Australia, actually, they have. I was looking into that one too. They have a a program where. I think it's if you want to stay another year, you just have to do three months of um, specific labor. Um, that's like helping helping them in some way. So it could be like working on a garden or excuse me, working on a farm or working in like hospitality. It's like these specific jobs. And then if you want to stay beyond that year, you have to do like another six months. And then beyond that is another portion of your work, basically showing them that you want to be there. Um, so it's basically... I can't think of the word. What's the thing that they, they make you do? Community service. It's basically community yeah. service, right? You mean you get paid for it. So it's, oh, okay. I think it's a little bit better than community service. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you, something. Yeah, it's not like you were going to go to jail for six months and then <laughs> you went and played <laughs> in the garden instead. <laughs> now you have to do community service. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit better than that. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. It interests me, but obviously it's also like, is it going to be better? Is it going to be something different? Is it going to be you know, something that I want to go do and I'm going to be fulfilled out of it. I'm not sure. Well, then at that point, say, say it didn't work out and you weren't happy and you're like, America's awesome. I'm coming back. <laughs> like how hard is it yeah. to get back in the States? Oh, so are you, ta- are you talking about if you've already renounced your citizenship? Yes. Oh, uh, okay. That's a whole, are that's they a whole just like, story. fuck you, New Zealander. Oh, see, that's a, that's a whole different story. I didn't realize we were, we were talking about if you completely renounced your citizenship. Um, well, if you're completely renouncing your citizenship, I believe you'd already have to have something set up to have another residency. Yeah, because otherwise you're, you're like a non-citizen, yeah. right? Yeah, which I mean, I'm, I know there's people that have done it too. I don't even, I don't, honestly, I don't even know what happens then. Um, but I think most people, at least the people that I've heard from that have done it, um, you would already have something lined up. And so it wouldn't be like your, it wouldn't be like the, the holiday visa thing. That's more so if you're just wanting to go explore and, and see other places. Okay. Just temporary. Um, yeah. I don't think, I think you actually, you actually have to have to a passport to get into the holiday visa. And so I don't think it would even be an option to renounce your citizenship and then do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's an interesting concept. I've also, but I've also heard, uh, I've heard mixed things, which I, I would need to look into it a little bit more that like, like actually, um, Mike Maloney was, was saying that I think something crazy, like he had, he would have had to pay, you have to pay a, a specific amount of money, like a few thousand dollars to do it. Uh-huh. And then he was saying something along the lines of they take a portion of your wealth, which I don't, what? I haven't heard. Yeah. Again, I, it's something I want to look into more, but that's what he was saying. And then another person I was listening to, I don't think I ever mentioned that. So I'm not 100% sure about that, but I can also see it. I mean, trying to get as much money out of you as you can before you leave. Yeah. Huh. Uh, well, transitioning, I wanted to talk to you about 
uh, your thoughts on global warming and hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to dive into that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, yeah, because you you okay? Because okay, the only reason I ask you is because you have a yeah. unique perspective that is not consistent <clears throat> with most of your other views, and that's what I appreciate about it. Uh, because there's a number of ways to look at the whole concept. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I guess a lot of, a lot of what I do in my free time is just trying to educate myself with other people who know these topics more than I do and who have studied them. Um, so I'm, again, I'm just going to kind of tell some other people that, if people are interested in these topics, they should go look at because um, these are where I get some of my ideas from. But um, this guy called The Suspicious Observer is a really cool YouTube channel who focuses a lot on just the sun, basically, like in all aspects of the sun and understanding how the sun interacts with the world, um, with Earth, and also with space in general. And he brings up some really really interesting concepts um it's kind of related to energy moving out of the sun and interacting with us and heating and cooling and also james corbett um does a lot of really great videos talking about global warming i don't think i'm gonna go too deep into it in my opinion um i mean i agree with a lot of what these people say Mm -hmm. um but i think it's I guess, I guess I just think that there's a lot of, um, money to be made around it and kind of propaganda that's, that has people thinking that we're the sole, uh, problem and that our interaction with earth and the things that we do, you know, with driving cars and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that it doesn't affect it, but I don't think it affects it in the amount that we're told. I think that there is a long history of the earth changing um, that we don't think about. And I think a lot of that is to do with the sun. And again, I think if if people want to learn more about that, the suspicious observer goes, goes into that. Yeah. I mean, all you can really do is read and learn and listen and formulate your own opinions and the most the most human characteristic the the human characteristic i appreciate most is that of a person who is willing to be open minded and and go with something new anybody who firmly plants their foot down for anything is not somebody i can have a conversation with mm-hmm. um and so, I mean, because science, the whole point of science is that you study and test and study and test and you prove something and you try to prove without a reasonable doubt that it exists. Mm-hmm. But then a hundred years later, someone can come along and prove that theory wrong. Yeah. And I, from what I've read and what I understand, believe it to be fact that man is in one way or another affecting the earth. I think that's pretty indisputable. Yeah, I would think so too. I mean, 
you know, again, I think it comes back to how much that actually is. Exactly. Is another conversation. In that vein, I don't think people, I think people get too, too buried in their little lives that last 80 years long and they're incapable of understanding the scope of the universe and the scope of this planet and of the sun. And while I think and understand man to be responsible for a ton of horrible shit that's going on right now, plastic Mm -hmm. in the ocean, um, Mm -hmm. holes in the ozone layer. I think what you were saying is, is true as well, that the earth moves in cycles. Mm-hmm. There, there are ice ages. There are certain events that change things on a scope that we're unable to understand because time is so huge. Mm-hmm. And I was having this conversation with my dad just like a week ago. And I was like, you know what? We're not that important. no one cares the earth doesn't care the ocean doesn't care it's going to be here i think the sun will burn out in like four billion years and then everything's dead you know then nothing exists then it's just a rock okay but until that time i mean we could get wiped out tomorrow it doesn't matter really and i don't think that's an excuse to to further destroy everything we have and kill everything. But like we're, we don't matter and people don't want to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, everyone wants to think that they're, they're this unique snowflake, right? Mm-hmm. They, everything they do has a purpose and matters, but you know, some people think that and that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool. <laughs> But no, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think just the time that we spend here is just so short-lived. And, you know, that's something that I definitely think about a lot, right? I think about the time that I'm doing, you know, whatever with understanding this information. Like, is that is that my time used best? Yeah, it's great. I'm understanding things, but... I think, I think within the last few years, I've really done the most growth in myself um, from trying to connect and be present. And, and a lot of that is through yoga. And a lot of that is through, you know, trying to better myself and really understand like what I want out of life. And it's not easy at all. You know, there's so much going on, such complexity, just moving around and creating new, you know, community and all that kind of stuff. But I think I think if I think people really need to take the time to really, you know, understand how your body's feeling and breathing. Like that's all yoga is, is taking the time to be present, to breathe, to focus on the now, to focus on what's going on. And I think you will start to find a lot more joy in life. Um, and also just like losing distractions, right? Like losing, we have hundreds and hundreds of distractions around us. And so being able to like sit and read a book and being able to even just sit in silence and do that is, is super powerful. Mm-hmm. How, how long have you been doing yoga? Um, let's see, I hurt my back at work. Um, 
two and a uh, three years ago. That's it. Three and a half years ago. I think I think about that long. Yeah, I mean, I did a little bit before that, but not not to the point where I'm doing it now. Where I I try to do it every day. Yeah. yeah. And how long after start starting? <laughs> that practice did you realize it was that beneficial to you and you're like holy shit i should do this all the time Mm, once my i think once well one it was helping my back a ton but then also just like uh helping my mind and helping my body to really just chill out And, and honestly like breathing is a big part of it of just like understanding your breath and really being present with your breath and helping you through the day, no matter what it is, or, you know, not, not overreacting to something because you're able to like breathe through it and you're able to, to calm down. Yeah. Uh, I have noticed the biggest change Mm -hmm. in my stress level and interaction with people since Mm -hmm. I started doing it. And since I started working out and running, like it, Mm -hmm. it just like brings you down to a different level like yeah definitely. shit it shit just doesn't bother you anymore which is yeah which is pretty amazing yeah definitely i think i think that's part of the reason why um part of the reason why um my girlfriend and i are well i guess i can already use your name <laughs> why amy and i are looking at going somewhere else um you know there's uh, like a, like a big thing that she was she wants and to interact uh, to implement into her life is a better work life balance and that's yeah. something that I've tried to and I actually have been able to in, uh, implement because um, more so now working for myself um, I'm able to have more time to focus on that type of stuff um, and also like other countries focus a lot more on that um, and so that's one benefit and I think one of uh, something that attracts us about going somewhere else is not just like the daily grind of constantly working, constantly, you know, focusing on someone else's work too. Like that's a, that's a big thing that I definitely have found that I enjoy is uh, working for myself and having that availability of saying somewhat of saying when I want to and when I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty huge. Mm -hmm. You figured it out. You just get to be your own boss. (laughs) Part, parts of it still still learning <laughs> you quit your day job and you get more work now <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's also true <laughs> except has, except when time. coronavirus is around yeah seriously not not that <laughs> yeah. it's taking a lot of work away from me <laughs> yeah well right on dude i feel like uh maybe we should wrap this up for now there's like a thousand other things i want to talk to you about but i think we could wrap this one up and do another one at a different time maybe sounds good maybe in person yeah the next one cool all right dude cool man well Well, thank you yeah fun yeah dude thanks for coming on